We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. We are back with another episode. It feels like a minute since we've done one of these, uh, and a lot has happened here in Eugene with the Ducks. Spring football is in full swing, so we wanted to hop back on here and talk about some of the updates that we've gotten give you some of our thoughts, some of our takes on the developments out of spring ball. And to do that, I am joined by Ducks Digest reporter Dylan Rubenking, a.k.a. Rube, the GOAT. How we doing, man? Glad you're back here for another episode. Doing great, man. The sunshine is just exploding into my in my room right now. It's, it's a very nice day. Um, we've been getting just absolute gusts here in, in Yelm, Washington, where I've been. So I'm glad that we got caught on a on a good weather day, it looks like you're on a good weather day and your Wi-Fi is working. So maybe we can make some magic today. Dude, yeah, that's part of the reason I didn't want to go live, unfortunately, as fun as those are, because I don't know how much faith I have in the Wi-Fi. It might be my computer. I'm, I updated it, so hopefully that helps. But on the topic of good weather, yeah, it's it's looking really nice here in Eugene. You can see some scattered clouds, but overall it's you know starting to get a little bit warmer. It's more bearable outside. So I'm I'm a huge fan of, of Eugene Springs. Today at the pressers when we were at the HDC, uh, we were waiting for Dan and the other coaches to come out. And I had my my, you know, my new camera. I think I told you I got a new camera that I've been filming the pressers with. And it was like kind of sprinkling, like flirting with raining. I was like, hey, can we get this on the road? Because I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't like having my new camera out here in the rain. Uh, but we got it taken care of. Pressers went well. We got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Spring is in the air. You're you're rock you're rocking the Nurs jersey. The Mar- that's like one of my favorite colorways by for for them. Uh, you getting excited for baseball season? Yeah, yes, sir. I mean, I'm a I'm usually a very pessimistic Mariners fan, and for good reason. Um, you know, they haven't made the playoffs since I was two years old. Um, and so, but I'm starting to feel it a little bit. They just called up Julio Rodriguez to the show, so starting to starting to get a little chipper now. There you go. All right. Well, yeah, I I have my um my my Giants flag up there, so hopefully they'll do well. But I know that life as a Giants fan has not been nearly as hard as life as a Mariners fan. So shout out to all the listeners that are Mariners fans. But hey, man, practice number six for the Ducks. Let's get into it. Let's give the people what they came here for. Um, so we were out on the practice fields this morning. It was a brisk morning in Eugene. Uh, but it felt really nice to just be back out there and, and be around the, the players and the coaches. 
But this practice, Dylan got off to an interesting start. The Ducks were going through warmups, and and then we heard the music get cut off, and the and landing and the coaches talked to the players, and then they ran a little bit after. And what we kind of gleaned from that was that the the energy level wasn't there. You know, it wasn't what Landing wanted to see at the start. And he got asked about that after practice. He was asked, was it a good practice? Did he, did he like the energy level after that? And this was the quote he had. There's certainly some room to improve. Ultimately, I don't want to start a practice and us not start it the right way. It doesn't matter if we're stretching or we're in period one. We're going to restart it if it's not going right. There's no reason to be out here if we're not going to do it the right way. And you don't want to hear about a team's energy level not being there, but I like to hear that from a coach, especially someone who's a first-year head coach. He knows that he that he's probably got some doubters, that he's going to have to hold his team to a high level. And, and I liked that from Lenny. And I liked seeing him say, this wasn't the standard that I've set for us, for this team, what we all agree to as a group. So yeah, if this isn't meeting that standard, we're going to start it over and we're going to do it until we get it right. So maybe it was a little bit of an old school mentality, if you want to call it that, but I like seeing that from Lanning. I really like that. He's just setting the standard very early on in spring. You know, I think it was practice too. He said the same thing. Like I thought we could have had a little bit more juice, a little bit more energy. Um, He said the intensity and the focus was there, but he didn't, he didn't see the juice. And, you know, I, I feel like that's been, kind of a slow start for Oregon because he said, you know, coming back from the break, they said there was some juice. Um, but this time around, they just, it wasn't there for them. So I like that he's, you know, like you said, he cut the music off and he kind of just took the the whole group and set them aside and said, Hey, we, we need to set the standard, you know, get fired up. We're in practice. You know, it's nice outside. Um, you know, this is what you guys want to do. So I like that he's holding the team, you know, to a high standard because, there's a lot of talent in that room. There's a lot of guys that can bring the energy in that room. And, you know, if it's not there, then like Dan Lanning said, what's what's really the point if you're not excited to be out there? Like any new coaching staff, you you got to set the standard, set the bar high and enforce that culture. So I think we're on the same page there as far as we're, we think it's never a good thing for a team to not necessarily have the, the right energy, but it's good for the coach to hold them accountable. Wanted to get into some notes from practice number six here on Tuesday in Eugene. And off of that, we got a couple new updates that we wanted to, to brief you guys on and, and give some of our takes on that. So we're going to hop right into that. It's a jam-packed episode. Starting off with some injury notes. Uh, the limited slash rehabbing from injury group remained largely the same on Tuesday for the Ducks. Limited players included Justin Flo, Keon Ware-Hudson, Brandon Dorless, Damon David, Cam McCormick, Michael Wooten, Bram Walden, Jackson Powers Johnson. And then we also saw that Popo Amavai was was not out at practice. Stands to reason that he's still recovering from a shoulder injury, which was part of the reason that we didn't see him play in the Alamo Bowl for Oregon. One of the more positive updates was Alex Forsyth, who had previously been limited in the spring, was back today going through drills and, and looked like he was at least for the time that the media was allowed to view practice, which was about 15 to 20 minutes, that he looked like he was a a full participant. So certainly important for the Ducks to get the leader of their offensive line back out there on the field today. So good to just kind of get some of those injury notes, uh, get people up to speed. Offense looking a whole lot healthier than the defense as it stands right now in spring ball. 
Yeah, the defensive line, you don't like to see a number of starters missing early on in camp, but I like that you're starting to get some of those guys, the young guys involved early. Um, and, and, you know, I think Popo is going to be an interesting one to watch to see what that recovery looks like, just because it happened right before the Alamo Bowl. I believe he had surgery. I don't want to be incorrect on that, but I believe he did. Um, and he's still in rehab right now. So that's one to watch. Um, but I'd love to see that Forsyth is back in there, especially with Jonathan Dennis entering the transfer portal. You kind of get an experienced guy to, to kind of command the offensive line. Definitely. I know we're going to talk about Dennis and the offensive line picture a little bit later here in the episode. But just to give you guys a picture of, of where people are at and how healthy this Ducks team is as we get back into practice here this week. Ducks are set to practice Tuesday, which is today, Thursday, and then also on Saturday. All of that leading up to the spring game on April 23rd. And then they'll actually have a spring practice after that on the 25th. So that's kind of a cool little wrinkle that that Lanning's throwing in there. But one of the biggest storylines that came out of spring practice on Tuesday, the Ducks added a new player to the roster, that being former Hawaii safety Donovan Dalton. So new face out there on the practice field. Dylan, you want to get into a little bit on uh, on him and, and kind of what we know about him? Yeah, I mean, he's really tall for a safety. It's 6'4", uh, 200 pounds is what he's listed at on Hawaii's roster. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't really know a lot about him, it seemed like, when he was just out there on the practice field. Um, I know somebody asked about him, but not a lot was said during that. Um, but he's a sixth-year senior. He first came to Hawaii 2017, um, you know, red-shirted at first year. And, you know, 2018 through 2020, played a number of games, was even a starter. Um, kind of reads off as a ball hawk, a guy that, you know, gets his hand on a lot of balls. Um, you know, he's a guy that makes a lot of plays, which you really like to hear. Um, and, you know, I think he'll help this, the safety room should he be needed with, you know, if any injuries happen or any sort of attrition, I don't know if he'll be a guy that you'll probably see, um, you know, on the field during the regular season, but you know, at six, four, that's, that's hard height to find, um, at safety. You know, they got Brian Addison out there is similar size and stature. Um, Donovan Dalton also played wide receiver at, uh, in high school. So you really like his skill set. You like his ability to make plays. Um, and you like his experience. I mean, five years in college entering his sixth, that's, that's really nice for a lot of youth in that, you know, not just safeties, but for the, the entire defensive back and the defense as a whole. I six four safety. I, I don't know if I've ever even heard of that. That's pretty crazy. You, you figure that he's someone who's probably going to play a, a much more physical brand of football. I know the Ducks have Triquiz Bridges, like you mentioned. He's listed at six three on last year's roster. We're still waiting to see what the updated height and weight is going to look like for this team, but probably don't expect that until probably closer to fall camp, is what I'm thinking. And Triquiz Bridges is actually playing a little bit of corner and safety. So that'll be interesting to see where he ultimately ends up, where he gets utilized uh, this upcoming season. We also got to talk to Coach Demetrius Martin, who's running with the who's running the cornerbacks. But we're going to talk about him a little bit later. Let's just stay on the safeties for a little bit, though, Dylan. We we don't know how much of a, a factor, or how much of a role Donovan Dalton's going to play this season. Lanning was asked about him today, and when he was asked if he was on scholarship, he said, "quote doesn't matter." So we don't know exactly what the case is there. Probably not a huge stretch to infer that he's probably not on scholarship if that's the case. But if nothing else, it's another veteran into the secondary. I think overall the the secondary is very young, particularly at cornerback. 
So if it's a guy that just kind of wants a shot to contribute and maybe you don't have to put him on scholarship, then I don't see any reason not to. And then the Ducks, you'll remember they got JJ Greenfield back last last week and he's not on scholarship either. So I mean I don't want to I don't want to paint any kind of a picture around that, but I guess from a number standpoint, it only benefits the team if you don't have to allot a scholarship to him, right? We can all kind of agree on that. So Ducks getting some pieces added to to safety, but that that cornerback room still has a, a whole lot to prove. What do you think about this the safety group? now that that the Ducks have Dalton and then kind of what we've heard so far in spring ball and, and where last season ended. Yeah, I think, you know, with the safeties versus the corners, I feel like I have a lot more confidence in terms of the experience um, with the safeties. You're looking at, um, you know, potentially Dante Manning and Triquiz Bridges starting at corner, which they have about a full year's worth of, of starting experience at safety, you've got Steve Stevens coming back from injury. Bennett Williams is a guy that, you know, he came back, wasn't really sure if he was going to come back, and um, he's going to be kind of the headliner in that in that safety's room. Um, Jamal Hill, hope he can have a bounce-back season after a really brilliant start, um, finish to the 2020 season. So I have a lot more confidence in the safeties, especially the starting safeties, but it never hurts to add depth. Um, you know, and Donovan Dalton is a guy who's been around for a long time, has played a lot of football, a lot of really good football, too. Um, Hawaii is, has had a, a lot of talent on defense. And, you know, obviously he's, he's made a lot of plays, started a lot of games. And if he can't find, you know, a role on defense as a safety, he's played special teams as well. And having a guy who's 6'4", 200 pounds and can really run and has a nose for the football, that's a guy you want out there on the field. We know how important the special teams are with, with that being an area that Oregon lacked in last year. So maybe if he does, if it all it is is a special teams role, that could still be something that, that adds value to Oregon as soon as 2022. Dylan, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here because you were mentioning off air that, that you watched a little bit of Hawaii last year. I feel like just historically Hawaii is known as kind of a more air raid slinging around offense. So if you take a guy that, that had experience practicing against that offense all the time, I think that maybe he can add some, some experience and some of that veteran presence being someone who excels at defending the pass. Because I think last year, Oregon was definitely stronger defending the run, I think, than they were against the pass, certainly on third down. I think that they really just made their name for themselves from a pass defense standpoint by picking off by getting interceptions. So I think that they definitely had some room to grow there. So maybe, maybe that, maybe Donovan can add that, bring that added experience from defending Hawaii is, is kind of the point I'm getting at. Yeah, no, for sure. I think Hawaii last year um, was not quite as effective. Um, they had a younger quarterback and um, kind of struggled a little bit, but you know, in prior years, yeah, for sure. They were putting up 4,000, 4,500 passing yards, um, you know, in, in any given season. And, you know, being able to go up against some of those guys and really talented wide receivers that they've had the last couple of years. Uh, John Ursula is one guy that comes to mind who ended up going to the NFL to the Seahawks for a little bit. Um, you know, that only helps being able to, to go up against a, such a pass heavy offense. Um, but the, I think what you'll probably see from him early on, if you do get to see Donovan Dalton at all, is, is a special teams role just because they're looking for, you know, just a bounce back year, kind of a revamp of the special teams. Like you said, it was, it wasn't up to par last season. And I think he's a guy who can really help, um, you know, with speed and, 
you know, just gunning, um, gunning for a lot of speed. There's a lot of speed in, uh, in special teams in the Pac-12 um, with those returners out there. So I think he's going to be probably um, primarily a special teams guy. But if he's out there at safety, you know, you like his experience. Plenty of players to watch at safety for the Ducks. And, and I'm right there with you, Dylan, about being more a little bit more confident about what that group brings then, then the quarterbacks, cornerbacks maybe. But we are definitely going to be hitting on them later in this episode. We got to talk to one of the players in the cornerback room today. So we will make sure to get to that. Make sure you guys stick around for that one. One of the other updates that we got from today, some positive injury news for the Ducks. That is tight end Patrick Herbert looked to be a full participant. You'll remember that Herbert has battled numerous knee injuries since getting to Oregon. So just a bummer to to see a guy who is really talented. One of the higher rated recruits out of Eugene in recent memories just played up the road at at Sheldon. So someone who's been waiting for a shot. I feel like every time he got asked about last season when he was healthy, it was all good things. And the the staff sounded fairly confident that he was going to be able to, to contribute so to, to see him potentially getting healthy here and, and spring ball is, is certainly a good sign. Yeah, I was really excited for him last season just because it sounded like he was just finding his love for football again after the rehab. And then it was just kind of the same story all over again, got injured and wasn't able to, to participate and, and get out there. But, um, you know, I like that he's itching once again to, to get out there on the field. You know, uh, Dan Lanning was really impressed with, with what he saw and he was um, – you know, he was talking about how it's so easy to when you're injured and not out there on the field that you're kind of falling out of it and you you're left out a little bit out of focus is what he said. Um, but he said he's been picking it up really quick, which, again, he's been around for a few years now. It's another new offense for him, too. Um, and not being able to be out there on the field and get used to the offenses that he's learning. Um, I'm sure that puts him in a weird position. But if he can be out there, I mean, he's a he's a he's a guy that can really make a difference in the passing game and. He was talking about how much he enjoyed blocking as well last season in the spring. So yeah, he's going to be a huge piece if, if Oregon can keep him healthy. The injury history that, that Herbert's battled is, is obviously super tough. I think that's a dimension that a lot of people maybe take for granted just as fans or even reporters. We don't know what that battle is like, that mental and emotional battle behind the scenes for someone who has been hurt as, as long as he has, for example, and, and how you really, I think you can kind of become your own worst enemy, but also your own biggest supporter when you're going through these these devastating injuries. So he's obviously a super easy guy to root for heading into this season. And having a new offense might be just the kind of fresh start he needs. His his health is hopefully on the mend, it looks like. And, and then we also have a new offense coming at the same time, one that's hopefully going to look to utilize the tight ends more than Moorhead's offense did these past couple seasons. But that's a really talented room, Dylan. So it's not going to be easy for him to carve out a role. I'm not saying he isn't capable. I'm just saying that there is a ton of talent there. Maliki Montevao and Terrace Ferguson wasted no time last year just becoming starters pretty much from day one. Spencer Webb's a veteran who who carved out a role as well. Um, And... Cam McCormick was limited today. We're hoping to see him back in action after he got hurt against Ohio State. But I remember towards the end of practice today, Dylan, I was walking over by the quarterbacks and they were passing to some of the tight ends and and the other skill players. And 
these tight ends were just absolutely massive, which is nothing new, but I, I think that just the, the pictures that we can post, Scott was back at our practice today, which was awesome. So photo quality went way up <laughs> since I wasn't the one taking pictures. I enjoy taking pictures. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like you can't really observe practice as much as you want to, because you're constantly looking through the viewfinder, but case in point, Dylan, these guys are just mammoth human beings and just being around them today just got me really excited to hopefully see them all take on a bigger role next year. You were talking about, you know, the battle that guys endure when they're injured and especially a guy like Patrick Herbert that's gone through it the last couple of years. And I know I'm kind of switching sports, but I'll, it'll get back to it in a second. Um, I remember after a game, Sedona Prince, like one of the first games that she played, um, you know, when she came back from that injury that she was sidelined for for so long. She was just talking about like the mental side of it and the paranoia of, you know, maneuvering and making certain moves and practicing and, you know, just the way you kind of approach the game. And you're kind of paranoid that if I do this, you know, I, I'm not ready for that yet or um, I'm going to hurt myself again. And just kind of living in that constant fear of, you know, it's going to happen again. And when you've gone through it like Patrick Herbert and he's been injured multiple times, you know, you got to feel for the guy and just you know, that battle that he's gone through, but he's out there, he's picking it up again. You know, he's, he's with some guys that he's played with before guys that have been picking it up with him. You know, I know he talked about Spencer Webb's impact on him, and, you know, how they kind of bounce things off of each other. And Spencer Webb said the same thing. So for a guy that's a veteran, the guy that's like you said, huge six, five, two fifty, roughly. Um, yeah. If he can get out there on the field, it would be so cool. Cause I think he's only played one game in I believe three years. I think it was that Nevada game 2019, I think was the only one he, he played in. So if he can get out there and, and get his, uh, you know, get some routes get some, get some blocks, uh, it's going to be really exciting to see another Oregon guy wearing a, you know, with the name Herbert on his back. No doubt about it. You just got to get that guy some reps, get him more comfortable, get his health back, get that confidence up because that is another interesting aspect of it. Just hoping that you don't get yourself hurt again or that you don't get hurt again is, is something that certainly goes into that equation. I told you I was going to say it before we recorded, but I feel like a perfect way to wrap this segment on Patrick Herbert is Herbie fully loaded here in spring ball. I certainly hope so. Um, so yeah, some, some definite cause for excitement there with, with Patrick Herbert, seeing how his health looks like it is improving. And there was one other story Maybe this wasn't the best place to put it in this in the in the show. Maybe I'll okay. We have one more note from today, and then we'll we'll get to the the transfer news, Dylan. So I'll go ahead and just update that on our end. But one of the other notes that I wanted to pass along from today, the the Ducks were doing this kind of two on one tackling drill where the running back started with the ball and it was kind of closer to the sideline, and then one defender was close to him and then another guy was farther out. So basically once the drill started, the guy that was coming out had to kind of flank in and they had to, it was two on one tackling. So they had to double team him and, and tackle him. And um, no, Noah Sewell looked like he might've been a little bit shaken up after, after, uh, after you know, popping somebody after, after a hit in that drill. Uh, I don't want to blow this out of proportion because in reality, we're probably not going to get a whole lot of an injury update on this until we get up. Maybe we get out to practice on Thursday and we can see for ourselves. Um, that's not usually some kind of news that that comes out in between everything, but 
that would be pretty significant for Oregon if, if anything were to, to happen to Noah just because he is the, the face of that defense now that Kayvon Thibodeau is heading off to the NFL. He's the leader of that defense and and certainly the, the best player on, on defense. I don't think that's a, a stretch at all. So not trying to freak people out. I'm just saying that that was something that I saw other outlets were reporting. Uh, I saw that he was looked like he was favoring his wrist a little bit after that, but some other outlets were reporting shoulder. So I'm just letting you know what I saw. It looked like it, it, it might have been some kind of a, a wrist deal, but someone to monitor here moving forward. For sure. Yeah, I definitely don't want to blow it out of proportion either, but it's not really surprising given that for a couple of reasons, like Oregon's running backs are absolute boulders. Those guys are huge. Especially you know, I, 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 yeah, exactly. I feel like guys are going to get banged up and, and those kind of drills for sure. And then Noah Sewell is a guy that just gets in there and just, you know, goes after it. And, you know, I, I feel like when you, you hear about a guy that, um, you know, has a shoulder injury, like he's, he's laying the wood and, and even if it's in practice and, you know, a second, third practice and pads, um, you know, and obviously you, you wish that he's, he's healthy, but it, it, it kind of makes sense that he's out there, you know, getting some scrapes and bruises out there, but hopefully everything's okay. It's just, you know, a little ding, a little shake up and he'll be back out there on Thursday. All right. And then we'll, what's the other, other topic that we had here looking at our rundown. Um, yeah, we saw some significant movement in the transfer portal since we last talked to you guys on the Ducks Just podcast. All right, I'm back. There we go. All right, yeah. We're not <laughs> live, so I'm going to be able to cut all that mess. Okay, I was keeping it going, though, so it's all good. Okay. If you want to cut that. <laughs> okay, well, we'll just um, – I knew something was up when I was trying to share my screen and it wasn't working, huh? That's probably uh, what I should have figured out. Um, I jinxed you. I said you were having a look like you were having a good Wi-Fi day, and I, I was worried it. when you said that. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, <laughs> I forgot to knock on wood. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what it was then. Um, all right. Hold on a second. So I was just about to start reading the the statement uh, or his, his post. Where where did you leave off? I was just talking about how um, Alex Forsyth was back in practice and, you know, gave Oregon some insurance since Dennis was getting reps at center. And I was kind of teasing the Jackson Powers Johnson thing a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, well, I guess, I, yeah, I, I alluded to, to reading it. So I just wanted to read it real quick and then we can kind of hop back into it if that's all Go right. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Go. Let's try that. There we go. All right, here we go. This is from Jonathan Dennis on his decision to enter the transfer portal. First and foremost, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for these blessings. Without the Most High, nothing is possible. The memories and relationships that I made at the University of Oregon are going to stick with me for a lifetime. I would like to thank Coach Dan Lanning and Coach Clem and the rest of the coaching staff for believing in me and supporting me. I want to especially thank Lonnie for helping me through this rehab process and working with me day in and day out. I would also like to thank Chief Trav, Steph, Rach, and the rest of the Oregon Athletic Training staff. I want to thank Coach Davis for working with me during the season and the entire strength and conditioning staff. To my brothers, I love each and every single one of you. To the grave, the relationships that we've made, that were made, will last a lifetime. To the fans, it leaves a sick stomach, a sick feeling in my stomach that I wasn't able to play in front of you guys due to unlikely circumstances. Oregon will always play a huge role in my life, and I can honestly say that I left my heart in Oregon. With that being said, I have decided to enter my name into the transfer portal and let my spirit and faith guide me to a new home. Only other thing I wanted to add here is that he also tweeted um, this wasn't an easy decision at all. So um, 
so yeah, I think that just this move for, for Oregon, uh, it makes sense because Dennis really hasn't been seeing a lot of playing time because the Ducks have been so deep along the offensive line. And then also given the fact that he, sorry, excuse me, um, just had a little bit of a brain fart. Also given the fact that he's been having these injuries, so it's been hard for him to find the field. So it, it's it's unfortunate to see, but I think the move makes, makes some sense. And then the Ducks also have, Marcus Harper, who's been working a little uh, uh, at center as well. And the the previous staff made it sound like he was pretty ready to take on a bigger role. Yeah, I think this is interesting now that this is the second offensive line transfer. Um, you know, we saw Logan Sagapolo shortly before spring started, um, maybe it's a little before spring started. He entered the transfer portal, went back to, you know, went to Miami to reunite with uh, Cristobal and Mirabal. Jonathan Dennis is also a Florida guy. Um, you know, Miami was in the mix when he was, was being recruited to Oregon. Um, but like you said, there's been so much depth along the offensive line for Oregon the past three years now, entering the third year with this group um, since that Rose Bowl season. Um, you know, they went from the most experienced to one of the least, and now they're one of the most again. Um, and it's just a, a huge question mark whether a lot of these guys that have been around, you talked about Dennis and Sagapolu, uh, Marcus Harper, um, you know, Faope. There's a lot of guys who have been on this team that, you know, you want to see kind of you want to see what they can do because you know you're set in the starting lineup but there's a lot of guys that have been itching back there to, to get some reps and you know it, it's hard to see a lot of those talented guys kind of just sitting back there and you know with Dennis with his injuries and stuff like that it's just I think this is a, a good move for him um it just hurts to see right in right in spring but I guess it's better now than than later Another thing with the offensive line that makes it kind of tricky is seeing that he's someone who specializes at center. It's kind of tough to, you have to really, I feel like prioritize that position. If, if I'm going about building my offensive line, you want to make sure that the center's figured out and then kind of work your way out just because that's the guy that needs to have the most consistency and needs to be on the same page as the quarterback. So it is a little bit strange. Like you were talking about how they, in 2016, they were so, so, uh, an experience and they were young and then now they built it back up to being really veteran and laden and experienced. So that's another reason that I think they got to hit the offensive line very hard on the recruiting trail here in 2023. But I don't think that this move is, is too detrimental for Oregon, especially this season, given that Ryan Watt can also snap. And then uh, we're also going to talk about Jackson Powers Johnson and, and what's kind of the latest with him. And then Marcus Harper, who we mentioned, who who has some talent there. So I don't think that this move hurts them a whole, hurts the Ducks a whole lot. But certainly agree, it would have been nice to see Dennis get a shot. Yeah, and I, I think you know it's going to be interesting because the last couple of years, twenty twenty is kind of a, a weird year because you know they jumped around into conference play. But last season, I was really hoping to see some of those those guys on the bench get in there, but we really didn't get to see that because there were so many games that were closer than expected. Um, and this year, I feel like with that non-conference schedule, you're not going to see that, um, you know, a lot of guys buried in the organizational chart, depth chart, whatever Dan Lanning chooses to call it. Um, I, I don't know if you're going to see a lot of them too much either. And Jonathan Dennis is probably one of those guys that um, was really going to have to fight for reps as well. So we have one other little note on that. Uh, I talked about Jackson Powers Johnson because even though he was limited today, when we did see him, at least in the media portion of practice, he, he was kind of grouped over in the section of the, the offensive linemen and kind of where they were working. So he was working with Michael Wooten off to the side and asked Lanning at, 
after practice kind of what what his role looks like now that uh now that there's been some personnel moves on the offensive side of the ball and he was a little bit of a non-answer not gonna lie so what I wish I could have gotten a little bit of a more straightforward answer but that's just how things go sometimes we're not mad about it uh, he said that they're going to continue to assess Jackson's role which maybe means that they're open to, to having him go back to offense. Like we were kind of saying earlier with, with the update on Noah Sewell, we don't want to make too much of it because we have to kind of see him. I feel like we would need to see him take reps with the offense. And that's not something we necessarily saw today to, to make the claim that he would maybe be moving back to offense after starting spring ball over on the defensive line. Any other notes that you wanted to add there just on the, the O line or Jonathan Dennis, before we hit these last couple things from, uh, from this section. I think it definitely wouldn't hurt if, if Jackson moved um, back to the offensive line, because as we talked about it a little bit before we hopped on the pod here, um, you know, there was a lot of depth along the defensive line too. And now with, you know, a little bit less depth up front on the offensive side, Jackson Powers Johnson was a guy that was getting some reps last year, even got some starts too. So, you know, if anything was to happen and any injuries were to accrue um, along the offensive line, he's a guy you can trust, you know, he's, he's been out there um, and he's, he's done a very good job. But you also know that he can play along the defensive line. So I feel like he's one of those guys that I don't want to put him on just one side of the ball. Kind of seemed like the coaches really wanted to keep him on defense. I know they've been very open about the versatility, but you know Dan Lang very early on talked about how much he liked what he did on the defensive side. Um, so I think he's a guy that, like DJ Johnson, I would put him on both sides. But if I had to pick one, I think he should probably stay with the offensive line, given you know a couple guys that have transferred and. Um, I, I feel like there's a little less depth and he could maybe carve a role for himself a little bit more than he would the defensive line for sure. Feels like there's more of a need for, for yeah. Jackson Powers Johnson on the offensive line, but we're not the coaches. We don't get paid millions of dollars to make those decisions. So what we'll do in the meantime is we'll report on it when, if we have any new updates there, but we're going to keep it rolling here on the Ducks Just podcast with plenty of Oregon football spring coverage here on the other side of the ad break. So make sure you guys stick around for that and we'll see you on the other side. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
All right, welcome back to the Ducks Just Podcast. We are rolling here on Tuesday, April 5th, and we got to talk to Demetrius Martin today, the new Oregon cornerbacks coach for the first time since he got hired on to Dan Lanning's staff. He mentioned how it was this, his sixth school in the Pac-12, so this is a guy who's been moving all over the West Coast, originally a Pasadena native, but he talked about how he always wanted the opportunity to, to get here and, and coach at Oregon. And he said something along the lines of, of learning. It's a PhD in defense. And he spoke very highly of, of the rest of the defensive staff that Dan Lanning has established. And after we learned that Rod Chance wasn't going to be retained on this staff, I don't think I knew if Demetrius Martin was, was available, but he was a name that I had known about for quite a while because he had been in the Pac-12 for so long. And I knew that he was a pretty strong developer of talent and, and certainly someone who who had some recruiting prowess to him so he was he was pretty fun to talk to just talking to him today after the practice and and he's someone that I think can definitely make an impact on this staff and is someone I'm excited about he spent a lot of time on the west coast he's made a lot of ties um, and that definitely helps with recruiting like you said six Pac-12 schools um, spent time at some at some junior colleges in the on the west coast as well um, you know Pasadena City College is one um yeah, he was full of energy. And I loved what he talked about with um, some of his visions for for the defensive backs. And, um, you know, the other kind of storyline with him coming in is his relationship with Christian Gonzalez, who transferred from Colorado as well, where Demetrius was last year. Um, you know, he said they're kind of a, a good cop, bad cop sort of thing where, you know, Christian Gonzalez knows his moods, knows his tendencies, and he could pass those along to to the young guys as well. But I feel like he kind of touched on a lot of things that Dan Lanning has said about the cornerbacks, just wanting to get them out there. Not really a first team, second team thing, um, but just getting them out there, throwing them into the fire and let their heads spin a little bit and, and get them some reps. So I like, you know, what what he's going for. I like the idea of, um, you know, just really getting guys involved early, no matter if, you know, you've been with Coach Martin like Gonzalez has for a couple of years or you're in your you know, third, fourth practice, like Jello Florence, he wants everybody out there and um, he wants everybody out there, you know, just soaking everything in and helping each other out. I'm going to be honest. I feel like if you had, if you asked me which position group I was most concerned about on this team, it'd have to be cornerback. The Ducks still definitely need uh, an edge rusher. Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't even as consistent as they needed him to be last year, in my opinion, to, to really get that defense to the level that they wanted and, and were ultimately capable of. But after losing Mikhail Wright, after losing DJ James, they really do need someone to step up. And Christian Gonzalez very well might be that guy. But seeing that that room is so young, it was interesting to gain the perspective after talking to Martin. Kind of what I got was that maybe having a young group isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's a situation any coach desires. You don't want to have guys that are really young. I don't think that gives you an advantage per se. But uh, one of my good buddies, Jared Dinney, who's another Oregon reporter out here, he was asking about if it's, if it's exciting to kind of have a group that you can kind of mold how you want to and, and move them around because they have guys that, that have some of that versatility um, with Gonzalez being one and then Triquez Bridges having some time coming to Oregon as a safety and then getting his feet wet as a corner last year. And then today he was working in with the safeties, but I'd say all that to say that Martin was saying, having a group that's kind of moldable like this is, is kind of exactly what you want. Um, or it's, a, I might be paraphrasing, but it's, it's, it's favorable in, in that regard. So 
I think having some of that versatility is definitely going to be really beneficial to them. And one particular regard and one particular regard is the, the field and boundary corners. That's one of the things that Martin was asked about, you know, are you having guys work in at field or boundary right now? Uh, and he was saying that we're really just cross training them so that they're able to play both of those. And it's not directly applicable, but I was thinking back to last year's offensive line and, and how that, that staff wanted to have guys that could move all around and cross train along the offensive line. So I think that you're seeing again here that having that versatility is only going to be an advantage to you regardless of what position you're playing. And I think with, with this really just being kind of a blank canvas, I think that might be the best way to describe it. This cornerback room. I think that this is how you want to approach it. And Martin was talking about just getting guys reps at a variety of positions I don't think that there's necessarily a certain way that you can, you know, I'm sure there's certain aspects of the game that you can kind of fine tune and point out maybe distinct differences between the high school and college levels. But at the end of the day, he said it best. You really just got to rep it. And that's kind of what Lanning was saying as well. Well, I feel like one of the biggest differences, at least for defensive backs from high school to college is just recognizing where, where people are supposed to be, not just where you're supposed to be, but you know, where the guys next to you and behind you are supposed to be as well. And, I feel like the best way to really get people an understanding of that is to cross train them. You know, you have guys playing at different sides of the field, um, you know, playing man and zone coverage, playing corner and safety, even, um, you know, in the case of TriQuest Bridges, he's been going back and forth, bouncing from, from corner to safety and, and back and forth for a couple of years now. And it seems like he's not necessarily finding his role at safety, but it seems like that's where they're prioritizing him right now. Um, but he, he probably would be a starting corner, um, or in the mix for a starting corner if if they were to keep him there with Dante Manning and Christian Gonzalez as well. Um, but at safety, that kind of makes that room a little bit more interesting if, if that's where he decides to, uh, or if they were where they decide to keep him. Um, but I think he's got the ball skills to be able to to do that. But for the young guys, especially like Florence and and then in the fall with Jalo Tucker and Trajan Williams and, you know, Kamari Terrell, uh, I feel like that's going to be a really important thing to get those guys cross-trained so they understand you know, what their role is and what guys next to them, um, what they're expected to do as well to really get them understanding the entire defense, not just what their part of the defense is. I'm glad that you mentioned that about, we don't even have everybody on campus that's going to be with this team for next year. So that's certainly something that I think can maybe help temper expectations, regardless of, of where you stand on, if you're overly confident or if you're maybe a little pessimistic about some of the, some of the position groups and, and kind of where Oregon's at. So that's only going to help them. Another guy that we should probably mention since we're talking about some of that versatility is, is Brian Addison. I think mm-hmm. he's kind of a wild card in this whole mix and, and maybe someone who gets forgotten about a little bit, seeing that he hasn't had a, an overly impressive body of work at Oregon. He did have an interception, I believe, last year. I can't remember which game that was. might have been Washington State. Um, but I remember last week when we got to watch some of the 11-on-11, he actually had a one-handed interception. So he's making some strides, it looks like, and, and he's going to be someone that hopefully the staff can find uh, a, a good fit for him, whether it be at safety where I, don't, I wouldn't say he was originally recruited there because he was an athlete coming out of high school. And when he started at Oregon, it was receiver. And then he moved out to the secondary. So he's a name to watch. And I think that all this talk about versatility just gets me excited for, for him to hopefully find a role that he, he fits really well in here at Oregon. But I wanted to say stay on Christian Gonzalez a little bit, Dylan, before we we switch it to the other side of the ball here on this episode of the pod. Uh, but let's talk, yeah, let's talk about Christian Gonzalez because he 
He's only he's played two seasons of football, but he still feels like he's a really young guy. Um, just overall, you know, two seasons, I don't think necessarily qualifies you as a veteran. Maybe people have differing takes on this, but he was saying today that he felt like he was stepping into the role as a veteran in this room. And because of the departures that we already mentioned, that's kind of where Oregon finds themselves. A lot of people like it or not, it seems like they're relying on him to be the veteran in this room, which he seems totally capable of doing. And more or less, let's just say how it is there. They need him to be a plug and play guy. They're hoping that he can be that CB one for them and hopefully lock down one half of the field or, or take whoever the other, other team's best receiver is. So I think that he's, he's capable of it. Just first impressions after meeting him, he, he does seem pretty soft-spoken and reserved. I don't know if you guys watched that presser uh, on my YouTube channel from, from Tuesday, but I think that he's, he's someone who really embraces the brotherhood of football, and I, I like to hear that. And just talking about how they're kind of feeding off of each other and, and they're all taking it in stride together. Yeah, and I remember writing about it, um, you know, shortly after he transferred because he was a guy I watched a good amount um, when he was at Colorado. And, um, you know, he he's a guy who is a lockdown potential guy. I think he's a great replacement for Mikhail Wright. Um, you know, playing two years is kind of tough when the last two years you have 2021, which was, you know, more like a regular full year. And then 2020 was only like half a season. And that's really when he got started. And he really didn't get a lot of huge reps until late in that year um, in 2020. I remember he made some huge plays in the Alamo Bowl um, against Texas where people started kind of getting a feel for who he was. But I think he's already one of the best corners, not just on this team. I think he is the best corner on this team, but I think he's already one of the best in the Pac-12. Um, but of course, new system, having that familiarity with Demetrius Martin is going to be huge, but still a new defensive system, new guys around him, and a lot of youth because we wouldn't really call him a veteran if there wasn't so much youth in that cornerback room. Um, You know, a guy in his second and a half season, I guess, technically, um, you know, you wouldn't really say he's a veteran in most groups, but, you know, like we said, there's a lot of not necessarily concern, but there's going to be a lot of eyes on the youth of, of the cornerback room because, with all the attrition in the last couple years, um, you know, there's new faces and Jalen Davies is another guy who who transferred that we have to mention that was probably going to have a bigger role, um, at least certainly from last season. But I think Gonzalez is going to be a guy who can contribute right away, like you said, and they're going to need him to not just produce on the field, but help guys like Dante Manning and, and Triquest Bridges and Avante Dickerson. And, um, you know, a lot of those guys that are going to be coming in as true freshmen too. That was the other point that I wanted to touch on to, to kind of wrap up the defensive talk, Dylan. And, and Coach Meat talked about it a little bit um, in his presser today. And, and you mentioned you already pulled the quote about the the good cop, bad cop thing uh, with, with him and Christian Gonzalez. But having a coach that you've already coached with, I think, is obviously a benefit for any coaching staff. But being a program in transition and being an Oregon situation of having so many young guys, I think this really is going to help them to have someone who's not only played two years of football, something that not a lot of these cornerbacks can say, uh, maybe they've been in college for two years, but they haven't had a big role. So they haven't played as much football as Christian Gonzalez has, but having someone who knows the intricacies of how coach Martin coaches, what he's like as a person, uh, just kind of all the ins and outs. And, and I think that's really going to prove beneficial as, they go about installing another new defense. The uh, 
the second consecutive year that they've had to do that after Tim DeRuiter's brief stint here in Eugene last year, following Andy Avalos' departure to Boise State. But I think that's just something that it's hard to kind of measure on paper how much of an impact that's going to have. But the development and transition with a lot of these younger cornerbacks, I think, is going to be greatly accelerated and assisted by having the situation that Oregon has right now at the cornerback spot. Well, I think the other thing that really helps with Gonzalez specifically coming in is he's had two years, year and a half starting in the Pac-12 even. So he kind of understands, you know, the offensive systems. Of course, there's been a lot of, you know, coaching movement, you know, this past offseason alone. Um, but he kind of gets a lot of, um, you know, what the Pac-12 is about, what some of those offensive systems are like, and just the speed of it. I mean, you're going to have a lot of new faces that are really getting thrown in. I mean, obviously, being in practice and going up against, you know, D1 receivers, that's going to help for sure for guys like Dickerson and and Florence and Tucker once they once he arrives in um you know, in the fall, but, you know, just in-game experience is totally, totally different than than being in there in practice on the practice field. Um, and Christian Gonzalez has plenty of that experience and he's excelled at it. Um, you know, he was a guy that I think Joe Moorhead even pointed out was um, a really standout corner before that, that Colorado game last year um, as a guy that they needed to watch. And yeah, I like his potential of being a, um, you know, kind of not necessarily a replacement because you can't really replace a guy like Mikhail Wright. Um, you know, they have some differences, but being that ball hawk, being that lockdown kind of guy, I feel like Christian Gonzalez, Gonzalez is a guy that can beat that for Oregon. And Dan Lanny was also talking about the the havoc rate, which is usually a metric that we kind of, an evaluation metric that we hear with the defensive line, but that also transitions into other position groups as we see with the secondary, whether it be pass breakups, interceptions, tackles, forced fumbles, whatever it is. So that was kind of another interesting carryover that we see for how this staff evaluates talent. But enough talk about the defense. Let's let's talk about the other side of the ball. That is Kenny Dillingham's offense and the Oregon quarterback battle. That is one of the other big updates that we got since we last spoke with you guys on the channel, on the podcast. And I got to tell you, Dylan, it's nice that we're getting more detail into kind of what this year's offense is looking like. It's getting me excited. No doubt about it after last year's offense, but it really seems like uh, like like Kenny Dillingham's, you know, talking that talk. So it's 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 great. I'm excited for it, but it's definitely contributing to the buildup. And I think that given the the talent that Oregon has returning and that they still haven't necessarily used in the past, I think that they're they're definitely building that hype and they're, they're going to have something to live up to this year. So I'm excited to see what Dillingham's offense looks like without a doubt. Yeah, I think he talks a huge game. I think he talks a, um, you know, he, he seems very confident in his abilities to to coach guys and to put an offense in place, put an offensive system in place. Um, you know, I think that's what, the one year word I would use from, um, you know, that first press conference was, with him is was confidence. Um, he seemed like he was completely confident and not just his ability to install this, but to, to get guys up to speed and to get guys um, utilized the right way. And I think that's what every Oregon fan wants to hear, um, especially after last year, is just how can they get these guys utilized to their talents, to get their skills on the field, to, you know, to, to change the game. And they have so many guys that are game-changing talents, in my opinion, and we just haven't really gotten to see it yet. But, you know, he's talked about it. We've, we've talked about it even, his vision of a pro-style, up-tempo offense, you know, where they – 
kind of switch from up tempo to um, to slow it down. He wants to run it and he wants to, um, you know, get guys in space, one-on-one situations. And, you know, he really touched that home again. Um, you know, I think it was on Saturday, um, you know, talking about getting one-on-one situations. He talked about that a lot, just getting guys one-on-one because at the end of the day, that's what football is about. It's just winning your one-on-ones. And I think they have a lot of guys like Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton and, um, you know, Isaiah Brevard and Chris Hudson, those guys, when you get them out there in space and one-on-one situations, those guys are really, really talented. And you just didn't really get to see them out there in space and with the ball in their hands and, you know, being able to make plays consistently. Um, and I think that's what Oregon fans most want to see is unleash the skinnies. That's, that's what so many people want to see. That's what the Oregon receivers want to see. Um, and Kenny Dillingham was, was very adamant about, we're going to get the, the best you know, playmakers on our team, the ball and get them in one-on-one situations and get them in space. And, you know, when you have guys like Bo Nix and Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield that are accurate, that are, um, you know, that are really picking up the offense very well and are willing to help each other learn the offense, um, you know, and they have the talent that they do. I'm just really excited for the potential because Dillingham was talking about how in his system, there have been guys that have thrown for 4,000 yards and they've had teams that have run for 4,000 yards in a season. So, you know, it, he said it's very adaptable. I think that was the big takeaway was the offense is going to be adaptable. They're going to work around the players that they have, um, which I think the, the possibilities are endless. When you have guys like, you know, Seven McGee and, and Troy Franklin and Chris Hudson who have the ability to take the top off of a defense with their speed, but then you have guys that you can get in more intermediate stuff with Terrence Ferguson and Spencer Webb and, you know, Dante Thornton with their much bigger size. Of course, they still have speed as well, but, um, you know, you can really do a lot of different things with, with this offense. And then of course the run game with Byron Cardwell and dollars, like there's so much talent and so much variety that, you know, there's the possibilities are endless with what this offense could look like. So the pro style up tempo, that's kind of all we know, but it's, it's what they want to prioritize with, uh, you know, the talent out there on the field. That's what I'm really looking to see. Um, and obviously there's no depth chart yet. There's no, you know, these are the ones, these are the twos. They're just rotating everybody, getting them in different situations. But I'm really excited to see how that kind of develops as, as spring. You know, we're getting close to halfway through the spring. I think you got a lot of my points uh, that, I, that I was kind of thinking about with the the one-on-one situations. That must have been said like a million times when we talked to Dillingham on, on Saturday. But I think that's the biggest takeaway on it is that Oregon has all this talent on offense, but it just felt like the offense last year was so stale, so predictable at times that they ultimately didn't get the ball. It was just run, 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 run. And then we know how Anthony Brown was limited as a quarterback. So maybe they, we know that they weren't able to do everything that they wanted through the air. So yeah, couldn't agree more on that. Getting the playmakers in space is huge and being adaptable is super important. I think, especially for young coaches that are still maybe trying to, to kind of figure out what works best for them. This is a, a system that's familiar for Dillingham. So obviously he believes that it's worked for him and the, the stats back it up, I would say. Um, let's see, what other notes that do we have here? Uh, you talked about the running backs a little bit. Sean Dollars, Byron Carwell. I saw knowing Noah Whittington uh, up close for the first time and – he, he's not the biggest back, but that dude's cut up. Like he's, he's definitely packing on the muscle. So I'm excited to see what kind of a role he has. I don't know what kind of system Oregon's going to use as far as one or two backs, or if they're going to rotate in some more, but I think he's someone that's a bit of a wild card. 
uh, in that running back room, without a doubt. I think that going up tempo is going to be beneficial. It's something that we hardly saw the Oregon, the previous Oregon offenses do in the past two or three years when Mario Cristobal was here. So that'll be that'll be an, an element that I think can give them an advantage in these games because it's something that we haven't seen, like I mentioned. So it's not something that a lot of schools I think are necessarily preparing for on a regular basis. That's another as yet another aspect of the old Oregon offenses, the tempo that that made Oregon fun to watch. I think that's one of the biggest things that Kenny Dillingham really has going for him, where he's kind of checking off those boxes. He knows how to get people excited without a doubt. That's why I feel like there's all this excitement brewing, but we have to see what that ultimately looks like. And I think I'd probably temper my expectations for the spring game, because as we all know, you don't want to show your hand too much. And the Ducks have a game that's kind of big against the defending national champions to to start off the, the damn landing era. So just kind of wanted to throw that out there, but we did get to hear from Ty Thompson and Bo Nix. Before we get to that, we had a couple of other things that we wanted to wrap up on with Kenny Dillingham and what we heard there. I don't know how much of a how big of a deal it's going to be, but he said that he does believe in and going under center and presenting that threat. So that's something that hasn't been at Oregon since I started watching the Ducks, which was 07, I believe. And then I really didn't start like getting into watching college football until my freshman year, which was 2012 in high school. So um I think a lot of uh, more established hosts always say, I don't want to age myself. I mean, I'm 24, so I'll put that out there. Um, but yeah, it could be cool to see them get under center, see what kind of different looks that that gives them. But one other thing, since we're talking about Bo Nix and Ty Thompson here in a second, because we got to talk to them and Jay Butterfield, was that Kenny Dillingham said that his system doesn't necessarily need a dual threat quarterback. So we know how much Ty Thompson and Bo Nix kind of give that look of a dual threat quarterback. And maybe people were really quick to kind of cast out Jay Butterfield in this competition, but simply being more of a pro style pocket passer, isn't really going to hurt him in this quarterback competition. It looks like based on what we're, I think we can infer that from, from what we're hearing from Dillingham. So it's nice that he'll, that he'll have a, a a good shot at it with, with what Dillingham's kind of laying out with this offense. It seems like, you know, having a mobile quarterback is only really an added bonus for this kind of an offense, um, you know, the pro style offense, because he was talking about how in a couple of years he had quarterbacks that rushed for, you know, 400 yards combined in a, in a couple of years. And then he said he had quarterbacks rush for closer to like 800 yards in a season. So, um, you know, it, it's not something that they're going to drop plays up for, like we saw with Anthony Brown last year. Um, but it's definitely going to be an added bonus for if, you know, if the if the pocket breaks down and the quarterback has to has to get um, you know the ball downfield on the move or has to create with you know with his own legs and pick up a first down, um, you know I think third and longs was one thing that was a huge issue with Oregon last year, um, and just kind of Anthony Brown setting himself up, um, you know rolling out and just kind of not really knowing where to go and I feel like Bo Nix and and Ty Thompson and even Jay Butterfield I feel like Jay Butterfield has that kind of sneaky athleticism, not a guy who, you know, is going to blow you away with his speed, but you know, he's a guy that can get out there and, and make plays for himself if he has to. Um, but in third and long, is that something you really like a guy that um, can get out there and, and run and, you know, make moves. Even I feel like Bo Nix is kind of shifty a little bit athletic. Ty Thompson's got the athleticism too. And he's huge. I don't think we've talked about that. Ty Thompson is absolutely beefed up since we last saw him. Um, so I feel like he's a guy that could, you don't really want to see a quarterback do it, but I feel like he's a guy that could take some contact if need be. So, um, yeah, the, the pro style, I, I feel like it's going to fit any three of these, any of these quarterbacks, 
um, you know, it's just going to be really exciting to see how they use them. Um, you know, once, once the offense is really kind of getting installed probably towards the end of, of fall camp. And as we wind down here on the topic of the quarterback battle, it's, it's still in full effect and the ducks aren't running with any ones and twos right now. Dylan him saying that we're getting, that they're getting uh, an equal mixture of, of reps, more or less, they're getting to throw to a bunch of different receivers. So I think that's an added bonus, just getting work with a bunch of different guys seeing that there's a lot of guys who haven't played a whole lot of football. But since we got to talk to these guys for the first time, Bo Nix talked about why he chose to come to Oregon, and he was saying, why not Oregon? And kind of just along those lines, he was saying that they're always well well coached, there's always great talent, and every year they're always a team that can be in in the college football playoffs. So that kind of added some intrigue for him. And then the other thing that a lot of people were interested to hear from Ty Thompson was that he called Bo Nix a blessing how he's been a blessing since he arrived in Eugene because people always want to pin the quarterbacks against each other when it's a battle. But that's a recurring theme that we're hearing uh, from these coaches and the players is that these guys are working together, sharing those little nuggets, those little things that they're, Hey, this is how I read the defense or what have you. And I think that it really sounds like a collaborative effort, at least on the outside uh, as we make our way through this quarterback battle in Eugene. Yeah. Ty Thompson and Bo Nix, you know, I've seen it a little bit in, um, you know, some of your reports and some of the other things I've been reading, like it seems like every time they kind of go through a rep, they're, they're always kind of in each other's ear a little bit on the field, um, you know, and Jay Butterfield as well. They've been all kind of just collaborating and, you know, it's it's very easy to, you know, kind of have the the screen of like, you know, this guy versus this guy and it's got the verses and it's like this whole street fighter thing. Like that's how people vision these quarterback battles and, you know, the quarterbacks don't really see it that way and, um, you know, obviously they want, they want the job, like each quarterback is, is gunning for the, the starting job, but um, you know, it's not something where they're, they're trying to um, outman the other one. They're trying to outsmart the other one. They're like, Hey, you know, I'm doing my own thing over here. Buzz off. Like it's, you know, it's, it's a very collaborative thing and you like to see that because, you know, it's very new. There's a lot of new to the offense. Um, Bo Nix is new to the program. Ty Thompson and, and Jay Butterfield have been there. Um, you know, they kind of know the the deal with uh, with Oregon specifically getting Bo Nix kind of uh, caught up in that regard. But Bo Nix has been around for for three years and um, starting in the SEC, the, the top conference in, in college football. So I'm sure that's, you know, he's seen a lot of defenses, as he said during the presser. He's played against some of the best defenses that, um, you know, have have existed in college football really in the last five years. So, um, you know, his experience is definitely going to help for for Ty and Jay and you know, Ty and Jay working with, with, uh, you know, the coaching staff as well, the new coaching staff. I'm just really excited for, um, you know, the versatility that that the quarterbacks have. Um, I feel like whoever they pick, there's going to be a lot of options. Um, There's so much talent and and ability and skill. One other thing that I really enjoyed when I talked to Kenny Dillingham and we got to hear from him was I asked him what he enjoys about coaching the quarterbacks and seeing their evolution. And he was saying that he likes when they get it they're struggling and and they're maybe skeptical about why am I doing it like this I haven't done like done it like that before maybe it was something they didn't do in high school but once they get it they just get really excited and that's kind of something that really he gets a lot of satisfaction as a coach just after you put all put in all those hours and you're you know drawing everything up on the board to see a guy finally get it I can understand where he's coming from but Ty Thompson was talking about how he feels like his decision making has really taken a a good step this offseason 
And I think that's something that is worth watching with him is how well he's processing the game because his physical gifts were pretty impossible to miss coming out of high school and, and certainly in the, the fall scrimmage that we saw. And even in the Stony Brook game when we last got to see him play a pretty decent amount. But he was talking about how he was they, – they were going off – they came out of a meeting – I uh, went through a walkthrough and then he, he called coach Dillingham and was talking about how excited he was and that, Hey, it's clicking. Like I'm, I'm getting it. So that's, that's a little bit more insight into the quarterback battle and, and something to be excited about. I know that I'm probably just as excited as a lot of people listening and watching this uh, to see these guys really let it rip. Once we get around at the spring game. One of my favorite things that I heard from, from Dillingham's presser and, you know, they kind of um, bounced off each other with Ty Thompson telling that story about, um, you know, calling Dillingham saying, I get it, I get it. Um, Dillingham was saying he wants to get these guys addicted to success and addicted to, you know, improvement. And that's that's really everyday thing. And it goes back to, you know, what we first talked about out of the jump with, um, you know, if you're not starting the right way, then, you know, what's what's the point? Like, I, I like that they're putting the, the core value of improving every day from the jump. Like every single thing that they do, I like that that's um, the core standard i guess and the core value of, of this oregon coaching staff so far because you know they have a, a really tough job to do to establish a culture establish a standard with you know some of these guys some of the veterans they've been around for a couple years been through a number of coaching changes um especially with the coordinators um and some of the position coaches and then some of the young guys who are who are coming in and just trying to figure out the college game um there's just a lot of moving parts and a lot of varying knowledge um on, with this program with so much movement and uh, you know, having this standard of, you know, just improving every day and getting them addicted to success. That's, that's one of my favorite things that I've heard so far. I liked hearing that too. It got me fired up without a doubt. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, you know, plenty more to come here as we go through spring ball. It's only the, it's only April 5th and we're going to be going all the way through April 25th, I believe is the last practice of spring ball. So we'll definitely have you guys covered on all the latest updates out of Eugene, out of spring ball. Uh, Dylan, where can people find more of you if they want to find more of you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. I'm tweeting about Oregon stuff all the time. Uh, you know, we're tweeting about spring stuff. Whenever there's uh, pressers, I like to tweet out some quotes. So if you're itching to get some of that stuff early, I'll, I'll be all over that. Um, and I'm also working over with the Transfer Portal CFB. It's at T Portal CFB on Twitter. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorussports, the name right there on your screen. If you guys are watching on YouTube, kindly ask that you take a second out of your day to hit that subscribe button, smash the like button. It is a great help to us and what we're trying to do covering the Ducks. If you guys haven't seen my YouTube channel before, it is at Oregon Football Max Taurus. That's where you can find us. Make sure you head on over to DucksDigest.com for all your latest Oregon Ducks coverage. Last thing I want to promote here is Ducks Digest Forums. Been trying to get this going so i'm going to continually continue to keep uh promoting this really how we can try to promote that sense of community build that community here at ducks digest i want to hear what's on your guys's mind so obviously you can drop a comment question let us know what you're thinking you can email us questions for the podcast ducks podcast at gmail.com is how you can do that but we got ducks digest forums so that's as simple as that ducks digest forums.com you can see an example here right on your screen look at how nice it looks don't you want to just go there and and talk some ducks with with your fellow duck fans so that's the last thing that i wanted to promote but i'll make sure to have all of our links where you can find more of us in the description 
You can also find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Been great chopping it up with Rube as the Ducks get going on week three of spring football. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Ducks Dish podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Take care, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.